Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Jim Kuritzi. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Quentin. Happy to be here. For sure. Hopefully I didn't butcher your last name too badly. No, you got it, man. It's it's a tough one, so. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Okay, great, great. So, um, all right, Jim, um, we're going to kind of just jump into four questions I like to call the conversational uh, question, uh, kind of the starter questions, just to kind of get the conversation ball rolling, so to speak. So I'd like to know, first of all, how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual that you like to stick to on most mornings and on most days? Well, what I would like to do and what gets done are, are two different things. You know, I'm, I'm just like everybody who's being influenced by the influencers now and you want to get up and expose yourself to cold water and drink, you know, your 16 ounces of cold water with some type of electrolyte in it. Um, but I got kids and we work early, so there's no exposure to sunlight, you know, at five o'clock in the morning. Um, so I, I don't have a, a, a super routine. Um, if I have one terrible habit that I've had my entire life, uh, I am a snoozer. Um, I hit the snooze button, but I fight that, that fight. I, I win most battles, but sometimes I don't. But in the morning, you know, especially recently, um, I try to get my butt out of bed, right? And then, you know, immediately just handle my business, get dressed, brush my teeth, go to the bathroom, all that stuff. And then I do want to drink, you know, eight to 16 ounces of water quickly um, and want to make sure that everything that I need to get out the door is arranged and organized. And now what day it is, there are a lot of different factors to that. Because if if I'm the first out the door because we train early, then I just got all my stuff ready the night before and I'm out the door and my wife will handle our kids. Um, but if I'm responsible to get my kids to daycare, right, then I'm going to make sure all their stuff is taken care of. Everything is poured, everything is placed, everything is packaged. And then I'm going to put that aside and I'm going to take, you know, my best, I'll do my best to read at least 10 minutes of a, of a, of a book of some type of get better book. Um, make sure I've hydrated. I try to read. And then I just try to be focused for the day. Um, I do not do a lot of like early morning journaling. I do any type of day planning the night before. Uh, but I, you know, I kind of laugh sometimes when you read all these morning routines and I wonder how many of them have kids. Um, Cause you know, when you got a two-year-old and the two-year-old's up, your whole meditation is gone. Um, right. So, you know, I don't have a super morning routine, but I do think that it's great to get up, move, hydrate, um, and do something to get your brain moving in the right direction. But to those of us who start before the sun comes up, you can kiss my ass with that whole C10 minutes, you know, liver King can, you know, it, it's a myth. It's a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And I, I appreciate that. Cause uh, I think you're right. I think social media, which I think most people that are a little bit older that didn't grow up with social media, like yourself and myself, we, we know what social media is and we know that, you know, it's just a highlight reel. Right. And a lot of it is people that, you know, a lot of the stuff they're putting out there is fake. It's not even real, even like morning routines or it's like, you have a two hour morning routine. It's like, what, what, what are you doing with their, with your life? Like it, it, it's not, uh, you know, uh, something that quote unquote normal people with normal jobs, or like you said, kids can, can do every day. Or why would you want to do a two hour morning routine? Right. Yeah, it's so really in a realistic approach. And I agree with everything you're saying is, is I want to try to get my ass up out of bed right away because that's a fight that I've been fighting my whole life. So get my butt up out of bed right away. 
Okay, take care of my business, and I want to make sure I hydrate. If I'm going to hit bullet points on that, that's what I try to do every day. I like to think I win most of them. Adding that reading, um, I found very impactful when I can do it. And when I can, I do. Um, and when I can't, it is what it is. I got to move on with, with, with what's next. Love it. Okay. Um, so you mentioned reading, and I saw on your Instagram, I was, I was kind of scrolling through and preparing a little bit for our conversation today that you had a couple books on there. Uh, that maybe you like or something like that, or you gift often. But the next question, Jim, is what's your favorite book or a book that you like to gift often? And if you consume podcasts or listen to them, do you have a go-to podcast? Sure. Um, you know, when you when you talk about books, there's obviously a lot of different styles of reading. There's reading for enjoyment. There's reading for betterment. Um, there's reading to challenge yourself. Um, and so, you know, reading has been really important to me. Um, I didn't love reading growing up, but I, I got into it as I got older. And then I had a mentor, Donnell Boucher, who works for Play now. Uh, he really taught me to open my eyes by reading books that aren't just about the weight room or just fiction. It's, you know, the self-help whole genre he exposed me to. So I'd say that the most important book that I've ever read in terms of like how to view the the, the way you operate in a different capacity um, would be The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. So five dysfunction of a team is a super easy read. Patrick Lencioni does an amazing job, um, you know, teaching a lesson in a, by, by telling a story. So it's easy for people to read um, who aren't necessarily great, you know, scholars when it comes to reading the scholarly articles or deep encyclopedic type stuff. So that book has been super significant and I've, and I've, I teach that to our interns and, um, and we push that on a lot of people. So that was huge. But the other book that has been really, really impactful to me when it comes to culture building, but it's also just a really fun and inspiring read is Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield, um, which is just an incredible story about the development of Spartan society, again, told in story form. Um, but there's a ton of nuggets in there that can that can teach you how to lead better, how to live better, how to be better. Um, and so I buy that book for my staff, whether they read it or not is on them. We don't quiz it but I make reference to it a lot. And there's just some incredible details in that book um, that have made me a much better coach. I am a, uh, a culture first coach. Um, and so that book really fits, you know, what makes sense to me, but it, but it, it, it tells a full story start to finish. And it's pretty remarkable from a podcast standpoint. It's all over the place, right? Um, you know, I've listened to dozens of Jocko podcasts. Um, I love Freakonomics radio. Um, and those are two pretty opposite um, messages um, when you talk about wings or message or um, agendas, if you if you will, um, but those are two really meaningful ones. Um, you know, Tim Ferriss is great. Everybody likes a Rogan podcast from here and there. Um, and then you know, I, I do enjoy Audible, um, and, and Audible is a relatively new thing to me, but that's been a great way of of adding, enriching my life while in the car. Okay, okay now. Um, I want to touch on something that you just mentioned. You said that you're a, a, a culture first coach. Um, explain that to us. And what does that look like uh, in application as you are a strength and conditioning coach, Jim, if you don't mind uh, uh, just kind of peeling back the layers on that a little bit, please. Sure. Uh, it's, it's not what you do. It's how you do it is a good way to sum it up. Right. And uh, especially in my industry, being a strength and conditioning coach, you know, there's a, there's so many different ways to get the job done. Um, yes. Everybody's going to clean. Everyone's going to squat. Everyone's going to jump. Everyone's going to sprint, but 
how much rest, what distances, how you arrange your week, front squat, back squat, zercher squat, sumo deadlift, traditional deadlift, trap bar deadlift, you know, how much horizontal versus how much vertical pulling. There's so many different ways to get it done. If there was one way, we'd have figured it out by now and we'd all be doing the same thing. Um, and so for me, it's not so much what we do, it's how we do it. So are you showing up on time? Are you wearing the right thing? Are you communicating with each other the right way? Are you communicating with the coach? Are you allowing yourself to be pushed? Are you asking the appropriate questions? Um, are you willing to step outside yourself and become something more? Um, so it's it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Um, how you walk, how you talk, how you stand, um, what you stand for. Um, and, and can you show up every day and give it your all? I think those are way more important things uh, from a team perspective than, you know, are you running 25 yard sprints or 15 yard sprints, you know, and I'm not trying to disrespect the, the science of what I do. Um, Cause that has an ever important, that is an ever important part of what we do. Um, but if you can't lead and if you can't belong to something bigger than yourself, I don't think your training is going to get you over the hump. Um, I think you're going to be, you'll be outworked by, by a, a group of kids who believe in each other and believe in a mission are all all together on one unified front with a brotherhood. Um, I think that's what wins more than anything else. Um, so I'm a culture first coach. Okay. When, when did you kind of first uh, glean the, 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 the culture first uh, mentality or when did that kind of come into your existence? And, and you are like, man, this is, this is how I want to run my program when I have that opportunity. When, when did that first kind of come, come to, to be for you, Jim? indirectly but also i you could argue directly is is why i started training in the first place which is rocky um you know i started working out because i watched rocky one and the next day i went for a run i can remember what fire hydrant i got to on swift road in northbridge massachusetts when i caught a cramp and walked home the next day i went for another run i got further and i'm like oh my god this shit works um so I kind of got the bug of training. And if you've watched the Rocky movies, you know, Rocky was rough and ragged in the first one, you know, tough in the second one, but he lost his edge in the third one. He had to go back to his roots and that was culture training more than it was, you know, and then Rocky four was all about training in a cabin versus training in a lab. So I think without me really putting words to it, I always connected with that side of training. It was raw. It was, it was tough. It was pure. Um, so, so that always resonated with me. And then as I played sports, you, you, you just learn more about teams and culture and um, buy-in and you, you being a part of teams that weren't as talented, but won games, it was because you, you, you played more unified, you practiced harder, you trained better, you prepared better, you had better habits that were pushed on you by your coaches. Um, so that just always resonated with me. Um, and, and so I think that when you put all of that together, you get one gumbo, right? And, and that's why I, I believe in what I believe in. And then what, what makes sense to you, you study. And then it, it builds and builds and builds and it hasn't changed my mind yet. And and is it fair to say then also, Jim, as you've like implemented the, the culture first, like as a strength and conditioning coach, you've uh, maybe just uh, for yourself, you know, solidified like how important that is as you've observed maybe a head football coach who, uh, you know, implements culture first and you kind of see how, how that works for another like head coach for another sporting team. Like I'm sure in your profession as a strength and conditioning coach, working with athletes, seeing head coaches, assistant coaches, how they run their programs, like that's kind of been solidified for in terms of how important culture first is by just 
seeing kind of some of the other coaches, how they run their programs with the culture first mentality, or if a coach doesn't have that mentality, how, you know, again, it solidifies how important that is to you. Does that kind of make sense? And have you seen that with other coaches and other uh, like realms, so to speak? Certainly. Um, and it happens organically over time. Right. And, you know, so I'll never forget, you know, working at the Citadel with Donnell um, cause he was the head strength coach at the Citadel at the time. You know, I just saw the power of accountability um, and, and structure and, and that was, you know, there was plenty of it at a military school and there was plenty of it within the coach. The, the football coach did a great job, but within his environment, you showed up on time, you know, your toes were, were two, but not on the line. You clapped and you were supposed to clap. You did. And I just watched that and believed in that. And it created such an awesome unity, which created a great training environment. So that, and then as I went through training teams on my own, there were, there were coaches that cared about details and coaches that didn't care about details. The coaches that cared about details, one, the coaches who didn't lost. Like at, at Kennesaw State, I worked for coach Brian Bohannon, who is a hero of mine. Leaving him was, was really difficult after working for him for almost nine years like culture was everything to him, how you went about your business and the locker room at Kennesaw state was always clean. And I, I worked, I trained another team at the Citadel and the coach had no accountability to how they treated their lounge or how they treated their lockers. And they lost. Um, and there's other factors. It's not just because you have a clean locker room means you're going to win. It's just a piece of it, but it is a piece that needs to be addressed. Um, but working for coach Bo, when he hired me, he's like culture, 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 we are going to be tough. We're going to be fit. And, and we're, I want our kids to go through some stuff that's going to make them, feel like they can overcome anything. And he did that. He asked me to do that with the guys in training. And then he did that his way on the field. And our kids, and I had a perfect laboratory. It was a startup football program. We started from scratch. And so we took a bunch of kids who had no scholarship offers anywhere else. And, you know, we practiced for a year and went six and five, eight and three, 12 and two. So we went literally from zero to hero. Um, and it was built with effort, attitude and toughness, not scheme. Right. Scheme helps, but um being around that was significant. You know, it's like, he's never going to allow kids to not be their best. That's culture. Mm. You know, that's not a drop step here or a, a high elbow on a pitch here. Like all those things fall in line with excellence mm. um, and, and learning from him and being a part of that. I'm super proud of, and that's what's helped get me to where I am right now. So I, I understand why people who are in the exercise science world don't agree with what I'm saying, but I, I respectfully have my opinions and I'm going to go about it my way. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. I, I think it's great. I, I love it. Um, okay. Uh, in the last year, Jim, what life lesson have you been taught or have you learned? Huh? Well, I'm going to move it back. Cause you know, we have phases of our life and um, you know, the biggest newer phase of my life is being a parent. Um, I've got a one and a three-year-old um, and there are so many issues in the world that you like to think could be solved by good parenting. And I've coached a lot of kids who come from broken homes. Um, I come from a, of, of, from a divorced family. I was lucky it was done as well as it could be done. Um, but you know, when, when you coach kids that are, you know, they come from a single parent home with, you know, they're just above or maybe below the poverty line. These kids are not embedded with the greatest habits in the world and they need to be taught them. So if I could tell you there's one promise I've made to myself and my family, and I swore I would not be a deadbeat, I would not be a deadbeat dad. And, 
to anybody who knows coaching, you know, there's, it's a long hours. It can be really early in the morning, really late at night. You're on the road. Um, luckily strength coaches don't recruit, but you know, you know, we're gone a lot. And so the learning experience is like the power of presence with your kids. Um, and I, Brian Buffini runs a podcast. I don't know what it's called anymore, but he's a real estate mogul who does leadership stuff. He said there can be no quality time without quantity time. So don't be the CEO that never sees his kids and takes them on a two week vacation. Expect there to be quality time there. So um, we do not guard our desks in my office. Um, we don't come in early just to say, hey, we're open for open hours. Um, we don't stay late unless we have to. Now we're going to do our job. We're going to, we're going to respect our kids and our, and our process. So we are going to do our due diligence. We're going to be prepared. We're going to be competent. But when the day is over and we're ready, we're getting out of there. We're not staying at our desk just to say that we work long hours. Strength coaches are great lingerers. You know, we love to say we work long hours when the last two of it was just us sitting working on an Excel spreadsheet that could wait till the next day. Um, and I know all strength coaches are hearing me and being like, yeah, I've done that. I'm not doing that and missing bedtime. You know, I'm not doing it. So if it comes to being, you know, from a life lesson, I've learned so much from being a parent and the promises that I made to myself, my wife, my family, I will not be a deadbeat. I will be active. I will be present. And when I'm not, it's because I'm chasing something that my kids will be able to see me chase. And that can be an inspiration to them maybe when they start to th their life in, their, in the pursuit of their goals and dreams. Um, but I'm not going to be a deadbeat and I'm going to make sure my life is balanced um, as much as can be. So I'd say that my biggest learning curve in the past one to three years is learning how to be a, the best strength coach I can be while being a parent. Hmm. Excellent. Now you mentioned uh, obviously coaching a lot of uh, uh, youth, a lot of kids over the years. And you mentioned like a lot of kids coming from broken homes, Jim. Um, and, and, you know, I'd say probably every 10 years, cause I work with uh, young, young people myself a lot, uh, you know, just personal training and, and things like that. I'd say probably every 10 years, there's kind of like a, a culture shift or a shift within uh, a generation of youth. I, you know, 10, 12 years, something like that. Right. Maybe it's a less, maybe it's a little more, but um, we're definitely in some different times, so to speak, in terms of the, the younger generations, especially from like our generations when we uh, were growing up in the, in the Rocky years. Um, how do you as a coach and, and somebody I'm sure that wants to, you know, also be some sort of like role model slash mentor for these kids more than just, you know, Hey, sets and reps, right. How, how do you kind of like adjust or evolve um, your coaching to kind of fit the needs or uh, you know, maybe adjust the culture if you do for the type of kids that you're getting in every five to 10 years as they, change in our culture changes? Uh, I, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth, meaning I'm going to kind of, you know, I'm going to speak about something I believe and I'm going to speak about something I believe, but they, they kind of contradict each other. And, and if I'm confusing, I apologize, but kids are the same. People have been complaining about the younger generation since the dawn of human beings, you know, and so kids haven't changed, you know, expectations have changed. So part of me wants to make sure that I am demanding of these kids what is not demanded of them elsewhere. Okay, so there's so many of them who have learned how to get away with so much shit, and I'm not going to let them do it. So I remember wanting the easy way out, but it wasn't given to me. Maybe it'd be a, a little easier to find an excuse now. Um, for I'm not going to throw any voodoo terms out there, but like, 
there's a lot of ways that you can use trigger words to get out of stuff. Right. And I'm going to try to combat that respectfully and, and still have high expectations of kids. But I mean, like they were in, in, in movies in the fifties and sixties, they're talking about kids aren't the same as they were. Kids aren't the same as they were. Kids aren't this. like, it's like the kids have always sucked because kids suck. You know what I mean? Like, but they're what we got. They're, they're the best of us and the worst of us. And we need to mold them into what we want them to, to do. One of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life is don't let kids do anything that makes you not like them. So when you're, you're the coach and you're letting it happen. So if you want these people to be something, make them be it. Right. Don't think to always being their friend is the way to go, even though, you know, friendly, not friends is probably the best way of going about it. Uh, but it starts with the relationships and getting to know them and, 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 and explain the why. And once you explain the why, if they don't like it, it's kind of tough cookies for them. You're the leader and it's their job to follow you. Your job is to listen to them and make sure that you're being critical of yourself and making changes where you need to be. But at the same time, you're the adult. You're supposed to know better, mm-hmm. right? You're supposed to know better. So kids haven't changed. We've changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got to do our, our, our best to make sure that we're building these young men and women into the best versions of themselves as we believe that they should be modeled and learn from our own mistakes along the way. Just because I wasn't good at something doesn't mean I can't help somebody else be good at something. Or just because I wasn't good at reading doesn't mean I can't demand my kids be great readers. You know, it's like I can help them do the things that I wish I had done better. So that part is like a little bit of the bullshit. Like, I don't want to hear about kids these days. Now, what is different? Like the information age is different. Like their access to information, social media, cyberbullying, you know, their lack of physical activity or free play. That stuff is different. It really, really is. We need to be aware of what's going on and we need to pivot accordingly. Uh, we need to be appreciative of the fact that these are not kids growing up the same way we grew up. And we need to learn as much as we can about what they're exposed to and what they believe in, understand it, and then apply it to the lessons that we need them to learn. Right. So, you know, if you're a strength coach in 1981, you probably didn't have tendo units. You probably didn't have laser timing gates and you probably didn't have jump mats. Right. Um, well, these kids now are so used to instant feedback just because you didn't have it in 1981 doesn't mean these kids can't have it in 2023. So find ways to engage with what that makes sense to them. Uh, when I first started learning about, um, at the time it was, you know, elite form. Now there's perch there, the wireless velocity based training systems that are all engaging with iPads. My thought was like, I don't want these kids being confused about having to touch stuff on a screen. And then I watched these kids at UAB just think, 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 boom, technology makes sense to kids. We don't have to be afraid of technology with these kids. They get it. They live in front of a screen we can use those screens to help them better. It's get better and it's going to make sense to them. So you got one side where it's like kids haven't changed. We've changed. And then the other side where the world has changed and we need to make sure that we know what is happening in the world and then utilizing all that knowledge to find the blend. That's how I look at it. But yeah, kids are different. Kids are different because of what they're exposed to, but kids are the same because it takes thousands, tens of thousands, millions of years to evolve. We ain't changed that much as a species. Right. And so, you know, the, kids are still adaptable and they need to become the best version of themselves and we're the leaders. Yeah. Okay. I, I know I, I received that. That's great. Uh, great uh, uh, wisdom and perspective, Jim. Okay. Uh, the last question for the conversational starter questions, and we're going to kind of get into your story a little bit more. Uh, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? Uh, if there's more than one, you can feel free to share. When I was in high school, you know, I had more quotes taped up all over my wall than you can know. 
Um, I, I, I believe that the best quote for you is, is what you need in that moment. And I cannot sit, I can't sit here and tell you that I have a quote or a mantra. Um, I do often fall back on two lines that, that makes sense to me and whether it's to me personally or the people that I'm around and one is discipline, um, over motivation. Motivation is fleeting. I just don't like to disrespect motivation because being motivated is awesome. And sometimes our job is to motivate people. Um, and there's nothing, I don't want to vilify energy and vilify, you know, motivation because when you have it, it's great. It's just, are you able to function without it? So discipline over motivation, you know, Jocko talks about that a lot. And so does Jim Wendler. Um, those are both people who have, you know, impacted me significantly without their knowledge. Um, so that's powerful. And then there's a quote in a, in a, I have a 365 days devotion book. I don't even know where I got it. Um, but this quote is pretty awesome. It says, well, having a positive attitude doesn't always work. Having a negative, negative attitude always does. So like, if you want to have a bad day, you, you got it, brother, bam, you got yourself a bad day. Um, so I think that those two things resonate with me a lot, but I'm not somebody who's just going around with, with my quote, my quote, my quote. Um, maybe some players would disagree because I probably say the same thing over and over again, but, um, I think that the best quote is what you need in that day. And if it hits, if you find it and it hits you, that's your quote for the day. But from a lifestyle standpoint, you know, you like to think that discipline over motivation and, and choose positivity, um, because that's going to lead you in the right direction towards having a better day. Excellent. Okay. Um, we're going to transition into your, uh, your backstory, your upbringing, Jim. So, uh, talk a little bit. You mentioned uh, that you did come from a, a divorced home, but uh, where did you actually grow up? Uh, any siblings? You mentioned you played sports. What sports did you play? Talk about academics. Just paint the picture of your childhood for us up to about high school, and then we'll move on from there if you don't mind. Sure. Um, mom and dad and an older brother. Then my folks got divorced. Both got remarried. Both had two more kids, so there's six of us all together. Um, I grew up with four in the house, but two very engaged other siblings that were living with my dad and my stepmom. Um, all good out of great father, stepmother. Um, so I grew up in a in a good family. Obviously, you know, spending time with one versus the other causes its own issues, but I don't feel negatively impacted by the way that I was brought up. I feel very, very fortunate with my family structure um, and, and what was demanded of me and what how I was raised. I'm very grateful for. Um, so I grew up with my mom and my stepdad in Northbridge, Massachusetts, which is in central Massachusetts near Worcester, Mass. Um, grew up there with my older brother and then my two little sisters. Um, I grew up playing sports. My stepdad is a coach. His father was a coach. And that's really where um, this whole bug came from, you know, of wanting to be a coach. I, there's only two jobs I ever wanted in this world. Um, I either wanted to be you know, a coach or a Marine. And we'll talk about how I chose where I chose. Uh, how it led me to the Naval Academy, which is, you know, kind of fitting. Um, but I grew up there. Um, my, my dad and my stepmom uh, and my little brother and little sister, they were in New Hampshire. Uh, but I grew up in Northbridge, Massachusetts. Uh, I played football, basketball, baseball, um, you know, up into high school. And I dropped basketball in high school and played football and baseball. Um, but, you know, I, I grew up in a good middle class family where we did chores and, had a lot more old school parenting than new school parenting. And I'm grateful for every minute of it. Had to be, had to ask to be excused from the table, had to do all that stuff. Um, had to mow the lawn, had to, it was great. It was a great upbringing in a great town. Um, and I couldn't be more grateful for it. I'm not going to tell you it was 
as a butterfly, but I certainly came out better as a result of everything that I went through there. Uh, between uh, football and baseball, what was your favorite sport when you were uh, younger? Uh, so I didn't play football, I suppose, until I was in seventh grade. And then I played that all the way through college. Football definitely connects the most to me. I was a better baseball player. Um, and I ended up playing both in college at the Division three level, being very mediocre at best at both of them. Um, but I, I love those two sports. Uh, football is the one that resonates the most with my spirit, I think. Um, and, and so football is my is my true passion. But I did love baseball quite a bit. Uh, but I played I played baseball from as early as you could until as late as I could. Started football in seventh grade and played until the end of college. Okay. Um, what was school like for you? I know you mentioned, Jim, that you didn't really like to read when you're younger, but uh, did you enjoy school? Uh, did you enjoy academics or was it a struggle for you? What was that like? Totally middle of the road. You know, my mom was great um, when it came to academics because there was an expectation to do well, but she knew that not all people are the same. So my older brother was really, really smart. It came really natural to him. He was a bit of a nerd when he was younger. Um, and so like he was the one, you know, I was at, playing with GI Joe's and he was reading Hardy boy books, you know, it's just, just difference, you know, and she, he was all A's all the time. And she did not demand that of me because I didn't like it that much. I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. It didn't come naturally, but I was expected to get B's. You know, I would occasionally get an A, I would occasionally get a C, but I was, I had to treat it well. And um, I respected the school process. I knew the importance of an education. I just didn't particularly care. And what I did care for and worked at, I did better at, just like anybody would. Uh, but I didn't love school. I, I didn't hate, I didn't resent school in any capacity. I loved sports and that's the only way to play sports is if you're in school. And the rule in my house was if you're playing a sport, you don't have to work. Um, and, you know, well, you're not playing a sport, you have to work. So in the winter, I lifted weights and I ran the shot clock to get make, make a few bucks for our high school games. Um, in the summer, I played summer ball and I, and I worked as a custodian at our high school. Um, so, you know, sports was a huge part of what I did. Um, I, but academics was the requirement there. I didn't love it, but I, but I, I, I respected it enough to do well enough. Okay. Awesome. Now I'm assuming growing up, you were like a Boston Celtics, uh, Red Sox fan, or did you have, uh, some other sports teams that you, uh, rooted for when you were a kid? Yeah, I was, I'll admit publicly now that I was a bit of a fair weather fan until I went to college. Um, and that's kind of bullshit because by the time I went to college, all the teams in New England were killing it. So it was easy to come back. Um, but I, I grew up a, an Atlanta Braves fan. Um, and then I, I bounced around NFL teams. Um, my brother always gave me a hard time because he's like the most loyal New York Mets fan and Washington commanders or whatever we call them now fan. And they have stunk like his whole life. So whenever I would like change teams, he'd be like, what is, what, what is, you're a joke. And it used to drive me nuts. But then when I moved away, um, I really resonated with our hometown um, as my connection back home, you know? So, you know, sports, I enjoyed playing while I enjoyed following. I did watch, you know, sports center every morning. I like sports, love sports, but I was never, I've never, I never done fantasy sports ever in my life. I don't pick um, March madness brackets. A, I'm not supposed to as a college coach, but I, I I've never done it. Um, I don't read, every article in the world about what's going on. I don't know any modern, I, I collected baseball and basketball cards. That's how I knew the, the athletes of the nineties. I don't know who's playing anymore. Um, so, you know, sports was more of my hobby of what I liked to do. It was a passion for what I liked to do, but like pro sports was not 
really my 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 passion. You know, it was more playing it than it was anything else. Okay, now in regards to kind of like you know middle school, high school age, before we kind of get into college talk, Jim, was there a coach that you had? I know you mentioned I think it was your stepdad uh, had an influence in terms of you wanting to be a coach at some point in your life, but did you have any coaches growing up that really had a positive impact, uh, you know, uh, in your life at that time to where it's like, you know, you kind of look back like, man, so-and-so impacted me so profoundly that, you know, I, I maybe you model yourself a little bit after them, or you feel like they really influenced you in terms of uh, the path that you took being a strength and conditioning coach. Was there any coaches that uh, kind of influenced you in that realm? Certainly. Uh, so my stepdad growing up watching him coach, he's an old school fire and brimstone coach. He coached football until he had his own kids. And then he, he uses girls basketball since then, but he was just tough. And all his girls come back to alumni games because they love what he demanded of them. And he won, he's won a million games for forever um, because he's tough, you know, and I loved watching that passion. And, you know, I, I, I work in division one athletics, you know, and I have for the past 12 years and he coached a division two central Massachusetts high school for a gas stipend in a gym that was like the, the girls, their bench was the front row of the bleachers. You know what I mean? Like it was, if there were 12 people or 400 people, it didn't matter. His energy was the same. And so I always really appreciated that and loved the way his players responded to him. And then he grew his best friend growing up, end up being uh, uh, my freshman high school football coach and varsity baseball coach and uncle Juan coach Demasian. He was just salty old bastard, um, old school, tough, didn't give you compliments, but coached you all the time. And his impact on me is so deep and significant. Um, he just told you what you needed to hear and whether it stung you in the moment or not, you, you knew all he wanted to do was you to be your best and to have the team win and if you just took it and let it make you grow, if you let it water you as opposed to burn you out, you would grow into something so much better. And I, I, I flourished under him, but he was tough. You know, sometimes it seemed unfair. It probably was unfair, and but I, I loved it. And so I'll never forget. So in, in the North, there wasn't high school strength and conditioning. You know, you're lucky if a coach would open the weight room and help you out or just have it open. And so I would lift in the in the winter, and Coach D, Coach Demasian was – the guy who opened the door, we ran bigger, faster, stronger. I don't know if you know about BFS, but it's classic. And yeah, did, I, I did you know, it in high to, school. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and like the more I learned, the more I realized that's awesome. It's a great system for high school kids, even college kids. Like it's great. And you could order a t-shirt out of their catalog. And I didn't because, you know, I didn't have extra money to just throw towards a t-shirt, but my sophomore year, I'm walking down the hallway and he threw me a BFS t-shirt. He goes, you did a great job this winter. Good job. I don't remember the last time the guy gave me a compliment. And this is a guy who's best friends with my stepdad, who I live with. He's at our family parties. He's my, he's my sister's godmother, which is another story. Um, but like the guy's close as can be, that's not blood, but he never was a complimentary guy. And he threw that t-shirt. I still wear that t-shirt. I got a when I was like 13 or 14, I'm 35 years old. I wore it to bed last night. You know what I mean? It's got holes. You could see through it. It's like the best thing I've ever gotten in my life. Like, God dang. I'll, if I, that thing will have to literally fall apart and then I'll just put it in a box and keep it. Um, 
but his impact was so strong. And then I had great coaches. You know, Coach Lashbell has been the head coach at Northbridge High School since 1972. You know, and and he was awesome to work for. Coach Garen was the line coach. Coach Donahue was our linebackers coach. Um, these were just great small town USA coaches who didn't get paid to do it. They maybe a stipend, but like Coach Garen ran the the paint shop at Coopman Lumber, and then he'd come in the afternoon and coach offensive and defensive line. Um, just great small town America stuff and tough, old school great people that just had a great influence on me. I, I couldn't be more grateful. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I love the the t-shirt uh, story. That's uh, that's a good one. Um, okay, now when you were now, uh, I, I think you mentioned uh, there was two things that you wanted to be kind of when you were younger. You wanted to be uh, in the military, and then you wanted to be a coach. Um, so once you graduated high school, how did life kind of unfold for you, Jim? Sure. So my grandfather was a Marine, fought in the Pacific. And, uh, and that was, it's, the military has always been super inspiring. I had a, an immense amount of gratitude towards those who serve. And like a lot of young boys, like, you know, GI Joe, this, and I, I just love that stuff. It just makes sense to me. Warrior culture mentality, just, it resonates with me. And I like to think of myself as a pretty patriotic person and both grandfathers fought. It's just an amazing time and amazing group of, of men that I can aspire to maybe be. Um, but that was an influence from early on that I just continued to pour into. And so I thought I knew I wanted to play college athletics and I knew I wanted to be a, you know, I, I either wanted to be a Marine or a coach. And so it's like, all right, go to college, play sports, do ROTC and commission as an officer, if that's what you want to do. And then you can do the officer route. So I went to Norwich university uh, in, in, in Northville, Vermont, where I could go there and figure out what I wanted to do. So I was in the Corps cadets, wore the uniform, saluted the flag, did Marine Corps ROTC, and was it was getting my PE degree while playing football and baseball. It was exactly where I belonged. I didn't like school, and I was a part of baseball, basketball, and the baseball, football, and the Corps cadets. So I had plenty of things to do to keep me busy. Northfield is in the middle of nowhere, Vermont, so there was live like I couldn't get in a ton of trouble. Um, the restrictions placed on me really helped me do well enough academically, um, where I could put myself in a position to graduate on time and and grow and figure out what we wanted to do. But along the way, we had a strength coach, Justin Goulet, um, who, you know, was, he was my first strength coach there. And, you know, he was awesome. And I was like, Oh my God, you could get paid to like work in a weight room. I didn't know this was a thing. And so, you know, college opened my eyes like it's supposed to. And so coach Goulet, you know, he left after my freshman year, he went to um, Merrimack college in Boston. And then he went to university of Albany uh, in New York. And then he was at the university of Vermont. He had finished his first year there when I graduated. And I had since made the decision that I wanted to be a coach, either be a college football coach or a strength coach. And I was going to take the first opportunity that I had. And so I reached out to him. I said, do you have any, anything? He goes, yeah, I got a job. I don't pay it. It barely paid anything with no benefits, but that was my first offer. So I took it. Um, so my strength coach there was a huge influence. And then, you know, he left and I was able to get, to, we had another great strength coach, Jeff Kruger. And I learned a bunch under him. I volunteered and did student assistant work for him. Um, and then by the time I got to Vermont, you know, I did my first day as a strength coach. I said, this is what I was meant to do. Um, and so I think it was like August 2nd, 2009. And uh, it was, it was all gas, no breaks since then. But he was another great, great mentor to me. Um, a really crazy story for another day, but um, super appreciative of him as well. And he gave me my first opportunity. You know, he gave me a foot in the door that I probably didn't deserve 
but my relationship and my work ethic that he remembered was enough to get me something. And then I went and built something from there. What, uh, uh, why or how or um, what? what's kind of the story of kind of the military pursuits kind of falling to the wayside and then the coaching kind of taking over with uh, your career pursuits, Jim? I don't know. You know, I can't tell you there was a day that I woke up and said, I don't want to be in the, in the Marine Corps anymore. Uh, I, I know, you know, I was in school from 05 to 09. So it was a pretty turbulent time, you know, in the, in the, in the, all across our armed forces. Um, I don't think that's what discouraged me. Maybe it did. Um, but I just, you know, I felt more inspired to go coach. And if there's one job that you need to be 100% committed to, that, that's going to lead Marines into combat. And I wasn't hundred percent in. So I wasn't about to make that decision. If I wasn't going to be hundred percent in that's, that's doing the wrong thing. Cause I was, I, I guess I got the bug that I just really wanted to, to coach. I loved We lost, like we were terrible, but I loved playing college football we were awful and we had won a lot in high school and we were terrible in college but I loved it and so I think that really I just was still all in on athletics and I wanted to kind of pursue that as a lifestyle and and I had nobody telling me not to you know my parents supported me in whatever I wanted to do at least emotionally maybe not financially but they were like they didn't try to dissuade me from doing anything they just were like if that's what you want to do go do it actually didn't really even check with them. I just told them what I was doing. <laughs> um, but you know, that's, I, I don't know if there was a moment, um, or what it was. I'm sure there were a lot of things that happened without me knowing thought processes. And, but I do know that I got the bug that I wanted to coach. And at one point I knew that if I didn't, if I wasn't all in on being a Marine, that was the wrong thing to do. And I don't know when that happened, but I made my decision and, and then here we are. Okay. Now, um, before we kind of get into all things, strength and conditioning, I want to ask you, um, whether maybe it was your teenage years or in college, uh, was there any uh, difficult times or difficult periods that you wouldn't mind kind of just sharing a little bit about in terms of like your life, your your story? Because, you know, uh, again, we, we see all the highlight reels on Instagram and social media, but we all go through hard times. We all have struggles. Is there anything that uh, kind of sticks out when I ask that question in terms of something that you had to personally kind of overcome that maybe built some character, some grit, uh, within you, Jim. Sure. Um, so I'm an August birthday and my mom chose to send me to school early. So I was on the younger side of, of my class. And so I wasn't in all the same leagues as everybody in my class. And then there was a group of kids whose dads grew up in town and they all got to be in travel ball leagues and I wasn't invited. And I think that always kind of bothered me. And this is such a bullshit story, but I was insecure for a while. Um, I, I don't want to say I was an angry kid because I didn't, I wasn't like going in like killing animals and stuff, but um, you know, I, I think I was angry, frustrated or whatever. And, and my parents didn't do anything wrong to make me this way. Cause I thought I was a good enough player to be playing with the better athletes. And I, I just wanted, I wasn't the most popular kid. So I was angry. Um, and then football just gave me a whole new perspective on the world and what you can do. Maybe it's like, you know, a lot of people talk about, Hey, this is the place you can hit somebody and not get in trouble. I, and at least early on in my time, that that made sense because I was able to go out there and make a name for myself. Um, and so I played pop Warner football and that wasn't in my town, but it was around my town. And I got a ton of confidence who I was and what I could be just a ton of confidence. Um, and then the next year was the first year that we had eighth grade football. So it was just like just my class. Uh, and then I just, I just 
kind of just took off any like armor I had on and just threw myself out into it and just allowed myself to be everything that I could be. And I was way more aggressive. And I think I was just a little stronger and, you know, that confidence came out and it, it allowed me to grow and be something better. So growing up, I was just a little frustrated and football gave me this incredible confidence that allowed me to become a better version of myself. And then when I was in college, you know, I had some injuries um, that were really frustrating right when I was catching stride, becoming a contributor on the team, you know, I had my third wrist surgery. Um, but you know, I got hurt right when my, when my mom got real sick, um, had to get sent, you know, spend some time in a hospital and it really screwed with our financial situation. So I went from by no means pay, like having all college paid for, but it went from having like a path to being like, can you even stay here? Um, and so having to navigate through that and kind of doubling down on myself and, um, trying to support my family from afar, but making the decision that quitting school and going home wasn't going to be the right move and just like doing everything you can do to be be my best would be ultimately doing what's best for my family in the long run um, that was a really hard time and there was some stuff that went along between my mom my dad my stepdad and illness and it was hard to be thrown in the middle of that stuff and that was a really uncomfortable time but you know you know I, I I got through it by you know staying with people who supported me doubling down on myself and making sure that I was investing in, in who I was going to become and not abandoning and just like fighting an excuse to quit what was hard and so I'm glad that I didn't just quit school and go home. Um, I certainly would have done that if that was what was absolutely necessary for my family. Um, but, and that was my first thought was, I guess I can't be here. I got to go just getting all emotional, but like taking a breath, making a good decision, formulating a new plan. And then, and then going about attacking my life and becoming the best version of myself while still supporting at home as best I could. But those two times were tough. And, you know, I came out of it by finding a new level of confidence and, 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 committing to myself, I suppose. And I don't mean that in a selfish way, but you know, you can't help others till you help yourself. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Now let's kind of start moving uh, into all things, strength and conditioning. So, um, you know, you're, you kind of were exposed to uh, a strength and conditioning coach in college. You realize like, man, like I can hang out in the weight room and get paid, uh, in colleges when you kind of came to that realization. So then, uh, you, you went to, uh, the, was it the University of Maine is is where you had that first opportunity? No, University of Vermont. Okay. So why don't you talk about uh, that opportunity and then just kind of start unpacking how that open door led to other open doors. Give us some of your experiences in strength and conditioning. Um, just, just start unpacking that if you don't mind. Sure. So I started at University of Vermont. So UVM, um, awesome, awesome, awesome town, awesome athletics department, awesome kids, awesome opportunity. And um, I was an idiot. I didn't know a thing. And I was socially inept because I was coming out of military school. So I was making a lot of social mistakes, doing a lot of stupid stuff that 22, 23, 24 year old guys do. Um, luckily, I made it out. Um, but when I got there, my job was just to coach all day. I didn't have my own teams. I wasn't programming for anybody. I was literally just on the floor, assistant coaching all day, every day, covering teams when a coach had to leave. But there were two coaches there, and I assisted with everything all day. First group, last group, all that stuff. Um, and to make money, I personal trained. And that was a really valuable experience because I was training, you know, like a seven-year-old kid, a 70-year-old woman, and like a bunch of stuff in between. But I was hustling. I was grinding. I was training club teams doing all kinds of stuff that I could do because I didn't have, I didn't have money coming from home. So I was sleeping on the floor in the room I was renting out of a house um, and just trying to find my way and not, not, I can't tell you how to plan. I didn't have a plan. It was just like, I know I had to pay my bills and I wanted to work and I knew I would grow. 
Uh, and so, you know, my boss there ended up having some personal issues and he stepped away for a while. So I got to step in and lead his teams. So I did that for two years. Um, hustling, grinding, making every mistake productively and counterproductively. But um, the, the cool thing there is like training all those different populations of people, uh, males, females, college, high school, middle school, elderly. You just learn how to appreciate everything, how to communicate with all different types of kids. You know, as a football player, they didn't have football. So um, that was certainly a, 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 not a pivot, but like a learning experience of how to communicate with kids. Um, and then I only did one piece of networking, one piece of networking, which people tell you to network all the time and you should I did one piece of networking. And I was on the, uh, NSCA website. And at the time they had a link to every division one, um, strength and conditioning page. So every college team that had a strength and conditioning website, half the links didn't work, but having gone to a military school, having always admired the military, I looked at armies, I looked at navies, I looked at air forces, I looked at the Citadel, I looked at VMI. I saw that the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, had a young head strength coach who was from my area. Shot him an email. I said, hey, my name's so-and-so. Would love to pick your brain about how you came to be a head strength coach at such a young age. You know, we know some of the same people. He responded back to me, and we kept a, 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 a small amount of dialogue going. And then he had a GA position open. I applied. He remembered my name, interviewed me, and I got the job. One Freaking piece of networking. I was one for one, batting a thousand. I'm a Hall of Famer, right? I should have been doing that with every school in America. I just wasn't really told what to do, didn't know any better. Um, but Donnell responded, and you know, we stayed in touch enough for him to remember me, and I got the interview for a GA spot. So I, I, I knew I needed to move on from Vermont because I needed a new mentor. I wanted to get back in with football. I needed something new. Um, I knew in this industry, like getting a GA gets you a master's degree, gets you more experience, puts you on the road. So I agreed to take an unpaid GA spot and I had a pretty good thing going. I was personal training like crazy. Um, I was had a paid position, but I needed to move on with my career. And I thought oh, this would be, you know, a, a way to do it. And so this is amazing. So I, I got down there a month early. So he said, be here on July 6th after, you know, for summer two of football training. I showed up on June 6th because I had no reason not to because no football at UVM, no athletes, right? So it's not like we were, I was there training a bunch of team, kids. Um, so I so I show up a month early uh, for an unpaid GA spot and I just coach my ass off and clean my ass off and I just do as much as I possibly can. And within that month, the guy I was hired to replace left to take a job at New Mexico Military Institute Another GA left early to take a full-time assistant shot spot at Baylor. And the, the, the full-time assistant left to take the director of Olympic sports at Marshall. So that left the head guy, me, and then one other graduate assistant. Now the, the, the full-time assistant gig paid 20 grand, but I'm making nothing. And because I showed up early and I worked my balls off and I had a little bit of experience behind me, Donnell was like, Hey, I want to give you this job. So I went from nothing to 20 grand. That's a $20,000 raise, brother. That's big time. You know? Um, so, you know, and I was able to get to still do school. Um, so show up early, work your balls off, clean the weight room. And maybe you'll get a job. Um, but when I was with Donnell, like he opened my eyes to a whole different side. It's not just on the floor, barking at kids and, learning programming stuff. It was organization management, leadership, um, you know, managing a staff, uh, professional development, outside the box thinking within a training environment, training larger groups, 
football, um, you know, consistent development, um, growth mindset. God, what I learned there with him was just incredible. And I thought we did some really awesome things. He's my best friend to this day. He, you know, he officiated my wedding. I'm so grateful for him and, and, um, the time I spent there and it's all because I did one piece of networking. And then when I got an opportunity, I showed up early, you know, if I, if I took a month off and be like, Hey, I'm going to take this month as my transition time. I would have showed up when I was supposed to show up and I, and I would have been a unpaid GA and I have no clue what my fate would have been because instead of training, you know, soccer and volleyball, I ended up training basketball, wrestling and being a top assistant to football. So what a, what a, opportunity for growth i got there um but that was amazing my time in charleston was incredible um my girlfriend at the time moved with me um and so we were down there together and then she's now my wife and then we've, we've moved on this journey uh, but that was the start you know those five years to it to it from the center that's what what a time of of like risk reward growth failure um just a great just a great journey of just grit you know okay before we move on with uh kind of the next uh season of life in terms of strength and conditioning jim um now uh in terms of that time uh at that first uh you know kind of the, the second position i guess um you know what was it specifically you you've mentioned like the importance of communication as you're as you're sharing your your story here uh today um, I want you to expound a little bit more in terms of the importance of communication. What does communication, uh, you know, we, we know what communication means, but what does it look like? Uh, great communication. What does that look like within a weight room training athletes? And maybe how has your communication skills evolved over the years? Like, can you kind of like expound on that? Because those of us who own a business or coaching or, you know, you know, a lot of people understand that communication is everything. We kind of hear that slogan, but what does it again look like in application and, and, and how has your communication skills again evolved over the years? Sure. There's, there's, there's direct and indirect communication and that, I'm not even talking about body language. So um, the, the, the thing I've learned the most in the second part of my journey from Kennesaw state on, but it probably started at the Citadel was like, unifying communication within staff and department stuff. So it's like at Navy, you know, I've got four full-time football assistants. We have nutritionists, sports medicine, um, equipment, director of operations, director of player personnel, military liaison, all kinds of stuff. Everybody needs to know what everybody is doing all the time. So the power of keeping everybody aligned to what's going on. So in the off season, I control the schedule, right? And if I make a pivot on a schedule, I have to make sure everybody knows about that. So you can never over communicate. And I'm talking about peers to peers here. It's like telling everybody everything that's going on all the time and explaining as much as why it is relevant. is so powerful. That's relationship. That's trust. Um, and that's just respect, you know, keeping being respecting people's ability to know because everyone who gets, it gets forgotten about is so mad. It's like, well, when was I going to know we had a staff meeting? Well, when was I going to know that we changed it from an AM to a PM? Now I didn't have, no, I, I, I had to hire a sitter because I had to come in early. Now I didn't have to come home early. Like you need to understand there's so many layers to this. So communication top to bottom, bottom to top is so important. And, you know, we can say all we want about phones being good or bad. Group texts are great. So all you Android users, 
who make green dot green dots. You're killing me on these group text things. But um, like I have a group text with um, my staff and anything work related at all goes in that group text. So we're all tied into what it is. If it's personal, it could be one-on-one obviously, but it's like, I need, might need to ask my assistant, Matt, a question about work. I put it in the group text. Me and him have a dialogue. Now, my assistants who aren't related to that conversation might be annoyed that they're getting group text updates, but at least they know what's going on, right? And so I have, a, and then we have a Navy ops text and my whole staff's on the Navy ops text. It's like, hey, ops meeting is moved to this time. Everybody knows, even if they don't have to be in that meeting. Hey, I'm moving, I, I'm moving it to the indoor. Hey, I'm moving it to the outdoor. Hey, um, it's going to be a really hard day. Can we get extra water? Sports medicine knows, nutrition knows. Ops knows all these things because ops might know something about a water spigot that's down because of a construction project that didn't come through our email chain. He could be like, Hey, we're going to have to get the water somewhere else. If everybody knows everybody can help each other. That's something that you need to understand top to bottom. There's not very much information that's um, like for your eyes only. And when it is, that's obviously a, a very specific moment. That's very relevant, but like everybody needs to know. So keep everybody in the know. That's that's big level communication. Um, now, from a interpersonal communication or coach to player or coach to group communication, there's a great TED talk that's called "Teach Teachers to Create Magic," mm-hmm. and um, it's a short, awesome talk about a guy who's doing, um, you know, urban education studies, and he and he he sends no, he teaches urban education at the graduate level, I believe, and he sends the students into the hood is what he talks about. He goes, I make them go sit in barbershops and make them go to rap concerts because if you're going to work in inner city education, you got to speak the language of the people. And so without, this should always be said to thine own self be true, right? Like don't think that you need to be somebody you're not. If, like don't act like you're from inner city Chicago. If you're from Quebec, you know what I mean? Like always be you, but understand how people taking what you're saying like football versus basketball versus lacrosse versus soccer versus swimming versus gymnastics, right? Your, your pitch, your tone, your aggressiveness needs to be catered to the athlete. The message can be the same delivered in a different way. Cause if I speak to a freshman women's lacrosse player, the way I speak to a junior defensive lineman, one's from, you know, small town in rural Minnesota and one is from Birmingham, Alabama, you know, they hear things differently. And so you need to deliver that in the way that they need to hear it, but you need to speak with confidence and conviction. And that comes from preparation, right? You have to know your stuff. You have to believe in yourself and then you have to speak it with conviction and you got to speak it in the tone that they want to hear it. Now you don't have to tell them what they want to hear. You need to tell them in a way that they're going to understand it. Um, It's your job to make sure that they grow right and learn and listen and you need to communicate in that appropriate way. And communication is also nonverbal, not just from a body language standpoint, but you're running a training session in your weight room and you're working at Kennesaw State and 90% of your population is from Georgia and 10% is from Alabama and you're 95% African-American, right? If you're playing Metallica, Pantera, and The Offspring, it's probably not their jam. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about you anymore. It's about the kids. And so if you're... You have to know who you're working with and you need to adjust your climate to match what's going to make them the best, what they're going to hear the best, what they're going to learn the best, when they're going to do the best. Communication is absolutely critical. And, and it starts with knowing what you want, what, you, what you're going to do from your preparation, from your conviction in yourself, your confidence in yourself, speaking with that conviction in a deliverance 
that they are going to be able to understand the message. And most of the time you need to do it in the way that they want to hear it. And sometimes they just need a kick in the ass and you got to tell it to them the way they, that they need to hear it, not the way they want to hear it. Um, and that that's not lost on me either, but you got to know your audience. You got to know your audience and you got to communicate with them effectively. Hmm. Um, when it comes to listening, how, how important is that in terms of uh, communication for, for you personally and your, your culture you're building? God, it's hard, isn't it? It's so hard. These, and you wrote this in your, like your why for why you're doing this podcast is like when you just shut up and listen, you learn so much and on the same way. And, uh, you know, leaders type of a people, we have a lot to say and it's sometimes we just wait to talk as opposed to listen. Um, I have a bad habit of trying to finish people's sentences and I've worked really hard for a long time at not doing that anymore and calming my brain and, and, and stapling my tongue to making sure that I listen to what these people have to say, not just be quiet and wait, but actually listen. Um, you don't have to, I don't remember who I was talking to the other day or who I was listening to, but you owe it to every kid to listen to them talk. You do not owe it to change your plan for them, right? You owe it to listen to them. And so if a kid doesn't like that, they're running half gas or if they're like, they don't like tempo runs or pro shuttles, you owe it to them to listen to them and hear their why. You do not owe it to them to change what you're doing as a result, right? You're the leader. You're hired to lead this area. They have to do what you want them to do, but you do owe it to them to listen. And then you do owe it to them to think about it. Maybe what you're doing isn't what's best for them or the group. Maybe they just don't know that it's the right thing yet. How many times have we heard kids say, I hated it when I was going through it, but I'm glad I went through it now. And we have to have the patience as coaches to let them stay uncomfortable and stay miserable knowing that two, five, 10 years down the road, right. They're going to understand why we demanded it of them. And they're going to, they're going to come back and thank us. Um, that's hard because you get more bees with honey, right? If you're nice to people, if you give them what they want, um, they're going to, they're going to be more receptive to you early on. But then when you try to demand of them, they're going to be like, who's this? Right. So you don't owe it to them to change for them. You're the expert, but you do owe it to them to listen to them. And listening is absolutely critical. And when people feel heard, they feel willing to go against what they think and because they at least know that you've heard them, you've thought about it, you've considered it, and you've made the best decision as the leader of the room. Yes. Okay. Now, um, I, I, I want to touch on one more topic, and, and this is called Curious and Candid. So we're, I want to get candid. Uh, this is kind of like – a hot button, hot topic in our culture. And it has been, you know, kind of since the, the, you know, 2020 with COVID and all that, but uh, you know, obviously uh, you're a, a white male. I'm a white male. Um, you mentioned being around a lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, African, African-American black athletes. Has that ever, I don't necessarily know how to ask the question, but has that ever caused a schism? Has that ever cause any issues like have you have you ever had to kind of uh adjust anything in terms of your coaching again kind of going back to meeting people kind of where they're at and the culture that they're coming from like does that kind of make sense jim yeah yeah it's it's, it's almost harder to ask the question um than it is to answer the question so i appreciate your, your how difficult it is to ask that um the wording can be tough so to be honest like moving from 
Burlington, Vermont to Charleston, South Carolina, and going from all Olympic sports to a division one FCS football team in the South was a culture shock. I, the, my first lift at the Citadel was the most black people had ever been around in one room at one time. And you're a fool to say that you don't notice it. Right. But we're all there for the same cause. That's the great, the power of athletics, right? We're all there together. And so we're going to, going to coach them up. What I've learned is that I want to pay close attention to what the room is and serve the room. And so, um, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, Kennesaw, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. I got a largely black team. I can't play my music anymore. I want to give them their environment and I want to learn their culture so I can be a part of it and they can be a part of mine. But to pretend that it's not a real thing, you're lying to yourself, right? Um, I, I, I'm, I pride myself. I, I, I've never used racist language. Um, so I didn't have to worry about like not saying certain things, but I am careful with the way I address certain stuff and I am careful about the way I line people up. And I'm more often I'll be like, Hey, come here. This happened like two weeks ago. We're, we're on a warm up line. I grab our quarterback. I go, Teddy, hey, what do you see over here? He's like, I don't know. We're ready to warm up. I go, you don't see this white, black, white, black. It's just like a box of black kids, a box of white kids, a box of black kids, a box of white. He goes, man, and coach, I didn't even realize it. It just shows you that we navigate towards what is most free, most normal to us. And it's not always a bad thing. I don't think we got problem. I don't think we have a racial problem on our team. But those things happen. And I notice it. And I try to do what I can to eliminate that and, and mix it up where I can. Um, but I'm aware of it. And like just yesterday, I was coaching up and getting fired up for a kid. And, and I said, hell yeah, boy. Right. And I went right up to him. And I didn't mean to call you boy. Right. Like I'm just, he goes, coach, I know. Get out of here. Right. Because he, he knew my intention was not that. But I do want to be super sensitive to making sure that I'm delivering a message out of, of respect. Even if my even what I'm telling you is that you're bullshit. It's your your action is bullshit. You're not bullshit. Right. And I, you know, I was exposed at the Citadel and then um, a lot at Kennesaw to, you know, very African based names, you know, Nigerian in particular. And I wanted to do my best to not mispronounce those names. And if I couldn't do it right, I wanted to make sure we had an agreed upon nickname that I could call that person. Um, so I'm very, very aware of it. It matters a lot to me. Um, and I want to make sure that I, I, I embody their culture so they can embody mine and we could create ours. Hmm. Um, but I, it's real. And the, the issues in our problem in our country, in our world are real. And I want to help, find a solution. You know, I want to be an ambassador. You know, I've worked with, you know, black kids who have never trusted white people. So if I can be the first white person that they trust, then I've, I've helped bridge the gap in, in a small way and but a significant way, one person's life. And, and I hope that the athletes that I've coached feel that way. Um, Cause that's very, very important to me. Very, very important to me, especially because where I came from was largely white. And now I work with a lot of black kids. Like I want to make sure I serve them in a way that they feel honored and respected. Now they might not feel it when I'm getting on their ass about finishing through the line, but it's an action that I'm attacking, not the person. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thanks for uh, touching on that, Jim. Love that. Okay. So uh, you're at the uh, uh, Citadel. Uh, and then after that, uh, where does your career take you from, uh, from that university? I got lucky. 
And I got to interview for the head job at Kennesaw State University to be the director of football strength and conditioning at a startup program. They didn't even have helmets yet. Coach Bohannon hired me, 26 years old, gave me a chance, and we got to build something that I, I part of me will always be black and gold. Hmm. Will always, always, always be black and gold. I am super proud and appreciative of my time spent there with incredible people and incredible kids who I love to death. So, um, I mean, that is a pretty quick rise to having a head position, especially within strength and conditioning. Uh, was that kind of surreal when you had that opportunity? Um, and then how, oh, did yeah. you take, and, and how did you take that opportunity, Jim, and, and kind of run with it? Talk, talk about those years there, because I think uh, that proceeded to where you're at now at Navy, correct? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So, um, again, I just got lucky to be hired by an awesome, awesome coach. Oh, is he the best? Um, and then with, he hired great coaches because a bunch of us are here now. <laughs> um, the first coordinator is now the head coach at Navy. The first offensive coordinator at Kennesaw is now the offensive coordinator here. A linebacker that I coached is the linebackers coach here. And I, uh, we've come together. And, um, you know, I just – it mattered a lot to me. Um, I wanted to do a good job. I was super passionate about the mission. And I believed in the people and the place. And I just put my best foot forward every day, made a million mistakes, but I always failed forward, you know? Um, but I, I was hired by a guy who, who told me what he wanted when that's, he goes culture first, push these kids really hard. I don't care how you do it. And he let me do my job. Open door policy. I could meet with him about anything at any time. He never pushed me away. He, he leaned on me to do my job and to be his eyes and ears on the culture of our football team. Um, and he brought in great kids who were willing to trust me and push themselves probably way harder than they should have been, but they all have graduated champions, you know? Um, and, and, and so like, wow, God, I'm just so grateful for that time. But what it came down to was like, I was super inspired and I felt ready for the job because of how awesome Donnell prepared me. Just the environment that he created that allowed me to grow and become more ambitious made me have all this ambition to, to, to do it myself right? I see what you do. I see what I help you do. I want to do this myself. So I had the opportunity. I put everything in place and failed forward, failed forward, failed forward. I'm still failing forward, hopefully. Um, but like overall, just, I, I, I think I was prepared. And because I'm, I was the first strength coach for that team ever, um, there was nothing that I had to live up to. I could go blaze my own trail, if that makes sense. And so I did that for four years. Um, and then after four years, I got I got bumped up to overseeing the entire department. Um, and that was just a whole nother level of learning of managing staff in two locations, going from dealing with one head coach to dealing with, you know, 14 head coaches, scheduling for my own weight room to scheduling for three, oh, eventually three weight rooms with all these different teams in season, out of season, um, and fighting to get, you know, facility improvements and fighting for staff salaries and, um, you know, good, good employees, bad employees, um, all while trying to do the very best job with football that I could. That was the one team that I trained directly. Um, but always trying to, you know, do the best I could for every kid there, whether they knew me by name or not. I tried to be an advocate for the weight room and to, and to support the culture of those head coaches um, and, and, and be their extension in the, in the weight room and make that a really valuable part of their culture building and their, the student athlete experience. Um, so it was awesome. And, you know, at the end of it, you know, we football won a ton of games, you know, six and five, eight and three, 12 and two, 11 and two, um, 11 and three, four and one. 
and then I think another 11 and one, and then a, a five and six, which was not a great way to end it. But, um, you know, three championships, four playoff attendances, you know, we, we helped basketball get going. I feel really proud of my, my, my engagement with that program and helping coach Amir develop that program from a one win team to a, a conference tournament champion and almost won the first round of the dance. Um, I, I, I played a small role, but, but I, I was a supporter with that and watched our tennis program go from rags to riches and our track program continue to grow and win and have a national champion, all Americans. Um, and so awesome people there that, that were just really motivated and wanted to do well. And we were supported pretty well for a mid-major pro program. And I just poured into that area, poured into that area. And we, we got some good people to get some good stuff done, but I learned a ton. The first half was how to do my job within my four walls. And then it was about expanding that and running a department. And I don't know if I would be ready for this Navy job because our roster is so big and the department, like football alone is so much bigger here. Um, if I hadn't, stepped outside and, and done the, the full um, department running the, the, the sports performance department at Kennesaw. So uh, lead us then into how the opportunity came for you to be the director of football strength and conditioning at Navy. Well, I went to a military school and then I worked at another one. I told you that my dream was either to coach or be a Marine. So the military school has always made sense to me. I've connected with its greater purpose, greater mission what it takes to go there. I can relate to it, at least in my own, and and from how much you can learn from another place. Um, and then option football, right? So, you know, Kennesaw State ran the triple option and the academies run the option. So our coaches know each other, right? And so when Coach Newberry was the defensive coordinator at Kennesaw, he was killing it. And he got hired to be the defensive coordinator at the Naval Academy. And we just stayed in touch. And then this past year, they promoted him to head coach. And when he was deciding what he wanted to do to make changes to the program, um, he felt like I was going to be the right person to lead the weight room um, and, and, and help build the culture that he wanted because he saw what I did. So, you know, Kennesaw was we I knew the right people and got an interview and I went and I, I, I won the interview uh, here. It was a relationship that got me in here. Um, you know, Coach Newberry, I remember him telling me that, you know, he really valued what I did at Kennesaw. He had always thought the weight room was an important place to develop physical bodies, but he was able to see at Kennesaw um, how important it was to developing a culture and supporting a coach. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Kennesaw, everything was in one building. It was, uh, and you know, in his previous jobs, the, the weight room was in another building. Um, at Kennesaw, we were in a warehouse off campus and you walked in and it was beautiful, but like outside it was a brick and mortar warehouse and our neighbors was Penn tool. You know what I mean? Who was shipping wrenches and stuff all over the country and we had an engineering firm next to that. And, you know, it's just a really unique startup program. But our weight room was right there. So he was just surrounded a lot. And I was at everything. And I think that was the first time he had been a part of that. So he bought into me and what I was about. And, you know, he supported me all that time. And, and he's always told me I would enjoy this job. And then he got the gig and he said, do you want to come work here? I said, shit, coach, I'll ride my bike. You know, it's just a great opportunity professionally. Like, I I, I love Coach Bohan and I loved Kennesaw. And I was not looking to leave, but when the United States Naval Academy offers you a job at the next level up, you know, you get a pay increase, you get, you know, you play in a bigger league and you get to go work with people that you trust and that, you know, um, and you get to serve a greater mission, like working with these kids who are just incredible. What a gig. It's awesome. And I, I still don't know anything. You know, it takes a couple of years to figure out really how this place works. Um, 
but I'm doing my best to to have my my imprint on it right away, and it's been a it's been a blast. And and how you you haven't been there too long? How long have you been there, Jim? Just since January, so seven months, I believe. Um. Okay. Now, uh, we're gonna start wrapping up, but I want to kind of I want to kind of get in a few more things before we do. Now, uh, in terms of like your long term professional vision for yourself or goal. Is there anything that you have or are you kind of more of like the mentality, like just, just be where your feet are and do what you can here and whatever opportunities present themselves will come in the future. What, what does that look like for you personally, Jim? Uh, most of it is be where your feet are. The grass is greenest where you water it. Right. Um, and I've always felt that way. Um, probably because I come from a small town and then I went to vision three and then I got exposed to all these different layers that every step I've taken has seemed like, the NFL to me. Um, so that's pretty cool, but you know, I've been really excited to work at all the places I've worked and I feel like I've acted that way. Um, professionally, you know, I really, I want to help young, young people is what I want to do. All right. And, And my teach mentor and train is my, is my, you know, my, my mission statement. Um, teach kids lessons that they need to learn, mentor them through their mistakes. Mentoring does not always mean having ice cream sandwiches and, smiling right but it's mentoring them through their mistakes uh, and then training them has been my platform for leadership so um you know i would say right now that i would love to be the strength coach at navy for as long as they'll have me this makes sense to me here and i love it now that doesn't mean if nick saban calls me and offers me a million dollars to be a strength coach like how are you going to turn down a million dollars it's generational change of wealth you know what i mean but i'm not running away from this place i love it everything is great um what i do understand is that my energy will fade in in time and that the strength and conditioning game is a young man's game. And it's hard to be older and get out and then find a way back in. That is, that is challenging. And the more you are embedded in your life, the harder it is to move. So with a one and a three-year-old, I was able to move from Kennesaw to Navy. My wife's a PA. She was able to get a job from Emory to Johns Hopkins. She rocket. She's a freaking rock star. So that was not hard to move. But what, if I would have a daughter that's a senior in high school and a son that's a freshman or a sophomore in high school, is it that easy to move? I, I can't speak to that yet. Um, obviously, there are, there are much bigger conversations that have to happen. So um, the earlier you are in your family, the easier it is to pick up and move. Um, but I do know my energy will fade. I used to say I want to get into athletics administration, but I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be a strength coach as long as I can be. And then I see myself in my future getting getting into some type of mentor role within coaching. And I think what that means for me as I see it is in either operations within football or some type of chief of staff, assistant or associate head coach, um, a role like that serving a football team and not just serving the kids, but also serving coaches. That's way, 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 way down the road. What I like to think of is I can be here for 15 or 20 years and then be like, I'm too valuable to not have in the, in the building. Right. But I don't have the gas to, or the attention span or whatever it is to do all the things that being a strength coach requires. Um, and so hopefully it's on my terms. I, 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 I fade from one job into another and that's, I have no specifics on what that is. I have no specifics on where or when that will be right now. I love being a strength coach and I have enjoyed leaving the overseeing a department and just working on football. Um, I really enjoyed what I did 
overseeing the department there, but I, but you know, I'm excited to dive in the weeds in one sport and do this thing the best I can and see if we can't turn this thing into a winner again. Mm -hmm. Um, But long-term I want to help kids. And so some type of mentor role where I help kids and coaches in the future is, is, is how I see myself ending my career. If all goes well. Excellent. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, strength and conditioning is kind of a younger man's game uh, or, or uh, younger ladies game, however you want to word all that. But um, so when you are, you know, you, there's, there's interns, there's, there's GAs. Uh, I think from my outside perspective, strength and conditioning, I mean, it just, it continues to grow and grow and grow. And there's way more opportunities now than when uh, you and I were kind of uh, graduating college with uh, regards to strength and conditioning. So when you're, when you're looking to bring on an intern, when you're looking to take on a GA, uh, you've got, uh, uh, an athlete that just graduated and say, Hey, uh, coach, I, I want to, I want to, I want to start getting into this. Like, what are you specifically looking for when it comes to, uh, a younger person that wants to get into strength and conditioning and you're going to bring them on, uh, in terms of an intern position or a GA position, uh, to kind of like bring them into your culture, bring them onto your team. Like, what are you looking for? What, what does a young person need to have to be a part of uh, your team and, 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 and be trained by you, so to speak, for strength and conditioning? Uh, so I used to think that I could turn anybody with even any remote interest into a good strength coach, and, and I've been humbled on that. So I'm not interested in taking interns who are trying to figure it out. Um, so if you want to be an intern, I – you have to want to be a strength coach. Yeah. I want to be a strength coach, right? So if you want to be a strength coach and come intern, right? And then you have to be willing to show up on time, wear the right thing and coach your ass off and have, you know, have some character and be willing to learn. It doesn't really matter. Like if you played or if you didn't play, if you're male or you're female, if you're black, or you're white, that doesn't matter. You have to want to be a strength coach. And then I need to see pretty early on that you have the ability to connect with kids um, and that connection can look a lot of different ways, right? A lot of different ways. Um, you have you, you have the the ability to connect with them. You know, you're comfortable around them, and then you don't have other things in your life that are pulling you away. And that doesn't mean that you can't have baggage, right? We all have something going on, um, but it has to be the most important part of what you're doing, right? Like I I don't want you doing an internship and being like, hey, I picked up an extra extra shift here. Hey, I picked up an extra shift here. Unless that's the only way you can eat. You know, I'm sympathetic to people's plights, but what I've realized is it's the people who put everything else secondary and focus on becoming a strength coach. Those are the ones who become strength coaches. Um, so I'm not really interested in people coming in and being like, I'm, I want to do an internship so I can see if I want to be a strength coach. I'm cool with people shadowing, mirroring, meeting, Right. But I'm not going to take somebody and I'm saying for the next six months, you're going to intern for me. But by month two, they don't, like, I don't really want to do this. Now you're trash. Right. So you have to care about the kids. You have to care about, you have to be able to connect with the kids. You have to want to be a strength coach. If you have that and you're really interested in a lot of other intangibles are taking care of itself. You're already training. And now we can teach you how to train better. You're already reading. We can, we can help you focus on what you're reading so you can learn better because those people are the ones who are going to show up early they're the ones who are going to take notes. Those are the ones who are going to ask questions. And those are the ones who are going to make massive improvements from week one through week eight, through week 12, through week 16. Those are the ones who are going to become great coaches. But if you're just kind of trying to figure it out, you're going to get beat out by somebody who just wants to be a strength coach. You know, 
And it's cool with wanting to be a strength coach, coming and working your ass off and realizing, you know what? I think, I don't think college is for me, maybe high school is for me. Great. You still were a great intern and you've learned, right? Or like you work your ass off. You do a ton. You're like, you know, I think personal training is more my, my jam. I don't really love the bigger group settings. And I'll be like, most of the time when I see that, I'm like, I could tell because you're awesome in these one-on-one, two-on-one situations where you're working with an injured athlete. But when you get up in front of a group, you kind of stink, you know? Um, but they were in it. They were trying to do this for the right reason. They learned all the way through. They didn't get detached. You know, you got to want to do it. So Perfect. that's number one. And then if you're going to do an internship, have a way of doing it. And that's the hardest part of everything. So like you get offered an internship a thousand miles away way they're not going to pay you well can you get there can you eat can you drive can you have have gas do you have a place to live those things are really really important like get those things ironed out before you apply for 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 an internship you know or at least have a strategy as to what you're going to do to figure out if you can because you can't go you can't move halfway across the country for an internship or half the time you spend working your part-time job which is a little unfair it sucks but it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, how has strength and conditioning as a whole evolved, devolved, changed uh, since you uh, had your first opportunity up there in the in the Northeast, Jim? Well, it's just exploded. There's so many more jobs. They're paying other certain jobs way more, or they're paying more people at the same place, the same shit wage which that's a conversation for later about, do you want to pay fewer people more money and let them get burnt out? Or do you want to pay more people less money and no one gets burnt out? I don't, there's no answer to that. Right. But like, there's so many more opportunities for males and females out there, Olympic and football. So it's great that there's more opportunities. It still seems like we're completely oversaturated. There's nothing out there, but there's just so many people that want in, even as they create more jobs, it's still hard to get a gig, but there's so many more opportunities, which is awesome. Way more coaches are doing a good job mentoring young coaches. Uh, the information available due to social media and people willing to share because they're trying to build their brand, which is all got good stuff. That's out there so people can learn at a crazy good rate. Um, awesome, awesome opportunity out there. You can go find it. You can. You can go find it if you want to. Uh, it's just harder for some people than others, and I appreciate especially with finances. Um, and then in the game, you know um, – like we talked about earlier, kids are changing a little bit. So the way you talk, the way you walk, you got to be careful. You got to really hone your craft on your communication style. Um, but kids haven't changed. They want to get better. They want to run faster, jump higher, stay healthy. So if you're good at your job, they're going to trust you and they're going to let you coach them, um, which is which is what it's all about. Uh, and then technology is huge, like GPS, you know, force plates, velocity-based training. That didn't exist outside of labs, you know, when I was starting and now it's everywhere, you know, at Kennesaw, like we, we had just gotten two force plates. We had 15 Tendos. We had Titan um, GPS, you know, we were doing all kinds of stuff, you know, and that's a, an FCS program, you know, one double a, um, you know, soccer had, um, t- at uh, polar. We were working on new techno women's golfers wearing whoop bands. We were engaged in all that stuff. That stuff didn't exist 15 years ago. And now here we are. It's awesome. It's so, so great that technology is exploding and technology is starting to find its place to do all the job, not just some of the jobs. So the, the initial reputation of technology was like pulling people back. 
and people are finding ways to utilize technology to not just hold people back from an injury standpoint, also push people forward from a performance standpoint. It's like, hey, well, when I got GPS, I realized we weren't running enough, brother, right? It's like, now we got to, in order to get ready for practice, I know what we need. Let's go get it, as opposed to me thinking I got it and me being completely wrong. Um, so that's changed the game. So technology is huge, and you got to get engaged. I had a guy who worked for me at Kennesaw. It was really hard for him to get his next job. An assistant job at Kennesaw is not a forever job. It doesn't pay enough to be a forever job. And that's okay. It's a good first job. But this guy couldn't get a gig because he didn't have technology, right? And people kept getting jobs over him on interviews because they had run GPS at this place and they had run force plates at that place. Eventually, you know, he was able to, to run ours. Um, and that helped him get a really good job at Wake Forest where he helps run some of the technology stuff for Wake Forest football. It was just So if you're young, don't, don't, shy away from technology. So the opportunity is is out there because there's way more opportunity. Um, and then technology has really changed the game and how we go about our training. Not necessarily easier or harder, but it's it's given us some stuff to really use to have fun training our guys and girls. So dive into it, embrace it because it's it's a, it's awesome stuff. Our kids, our kids love it. We use it all the time. All right, cool. Um what makes a great coach, not just a strength coach, but from your perspective, what makes a great coach in general uh so they got to be in it for the right reason so they're great competitors who want to help young people right they're, they're great competitors who want to help young people they're they're the the, the itch that they can't scratch is they want to be a part of competition towards going to try to be winners right there's nothing wrong with trying to be a winner right and when you can't play anymore how do you continue to try to be a winner you go coach right and so there's nothing wrong with people with a competitive edge Right. That doesn't make them egotistical, doesn't make them selfish. So great competitors who can harness that and make it about the kids and the competition. Right. I want to help you be the best version of yourself in order for us to compete at the highest level and win. If that's what you are, you're going to make the right decisions because you're going to push kids really, really hard. And when you push kids really hard and demand of them, they grow, they grow, they grow, they grow. And those are the lessons that they take with them. What it takes to win is what sticks with the athlete when they go do something else. So don't do things for the kids, but don't demand of them that they try to win because you don't push them hard enough for them to grow. You have to have that competitive edge that you try to win. Demand that they step outside themselves and become winners and all the habits make them better people, right? So they have to be super competitors who really want to help kids. And then the, the skill set is they have to be great, great communicators and they have to have a humility to make changes when they need to make changes. Right. Be confident in the plan. Don't just change who you are because something didn't work. But at the same time, realize things are changing and you need to make changes. Be willing to. Um, doesn't mean you have to. Um, confidence in what you've done in your experience and how it should be done, but the willingness to change as is needed. So competitors who care about kids, right, willing to push people, hold people accountable to pursue to something greater, um, you know, and, and be willing to step outside the box. Confidence with the with the with the willingness to change. I'd say that that's what I would say is going to make a great coach. Cool. Okay. We're going to wrap it up with this. Do you have uh, I, I want to, I want to hear a story. You got like a, it could be like an embarrassing story. It could be a funny story. It could be a story where a, an athlete comes back and says how much you impacted them. Like give us, give us a story to kind of wrap up our, uh, our awesome conversation today, Jim. Well, one story that, that that's, powerful so i'll go with the impactful route um 
The young man joined the Kennesaw program and the kid couldn't get right. Couldn't finish through the line. Couldn't touch the line. Turned the left when he was supposed to turn right. He was wearing the wrong stuff. And I was on him. All summer, all fall. Kid couldn't get to class on time. Punishment here, accountability there. Kid could not get right. He spent more time with me doing makeup stuff than he did doing right. You know, um, and eventually he quit, right? Because it just it just didn't work. You know, there was too much accountability, and he he seemed to resent it. He could never grow. But we were never gonna let. We're never gonna. We, we were gonna defend the bottom line. We're not gonna let him wear us down and not hold him accountable. I had built a good relationship with him, but it still was built on negative stuff. You know what I'm saying? It was about fixing negatives as opposed to growing positives. Well, that young man ended up transferring, going and playing at another school. And at the end of his first season, he shot me a text message out of the blue. And it was very poorly written. I'll say that. But he was like, essentially, hey, coach, I know this doesn't mean anything to you now. Um, but I just want to thank you for pushing me and holding me accountable. I did not miss one workout or one practice all year. Um, and I watched all kinds of teammates screw up by being late and, and it hurt our team and hurt their playing time. And I just want to let you know, I didn't miss anything. And it's because you did that for me. Thanks coach. The kid never said bye. Kid never said, thank you. I always thought the kid hated my guts, you know, and I don't, I wouldn't blame him because I was hard on him. You know, I wasn't always nice. I think he knew why I was doing it. Obviously, now that I got that text message, it, it you know it shows that he did know, or he, or he eventually came to about it. But that's why we coach. You know, that's why we coach. You know, um, you know stuff like I, a long snapper, and anybody who's ever played for for me um, knows how I treat specialists. Um, half smile, half menacing, devil laugh there, but. Um, you know, we had a long snapper who's become a, at this point a good friend and he's he's in law school. He's working a full time job. He's working out. And and people said, like, how do you how do you do this? Why are you doing so much? He goes, this is what we do with good work. You're awarded with more work. And that, that's the line that I always push on my teams. I took it from Bill Belichick, um, but he took it right from me and he sent me that message. He's like, this is what we do because of all this. And I was like. Damn it, man. I love you, kid. Keep going. Keep killing it. So it means that my impact was there, you know, and that's encouraging because there's a lot of kids that fail that, 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 that leave and never say goodbye. You probably do harm for some resentment to you, but obviously the message is sticking with some people. So believe in what you do. And if you're doing it for the right reason, um, you know, it's going to pay off. It's going to make people better. And that's why we do this. So those two stories right there, they'll stick with me forever. Um, and I'm grateful that, for them to have reached out and said those things. Um, because we do it for the kids, you know, I'm a competitor and, and I got that itch, but you know, I, I like to think I do it for the kids at this point. And, um, I'm glad that at least two examples have paid off positively. Awesome. That's a great way to end it. Um, uh, Jim, before I do a quick outro and I get you out of here, um, if you have any final thoughts, if you have any final words, if you, any, anything you want to leave with us, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you and they're you know, want to be a strength coach and they just want to pick your brain or something like that. Um, where can people touch base with you? I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll do a quick outro and then I'll, uh, I'll get you out of here. So platform is yours in closing. Yeah. So um, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I, I know I'm the one doing all the talking here, but I, I really appreciate you giving me this and thinking enough of what you've seen for me to, to bring me on the show. So thank you for that. Um, if anybody wants to know what we do, just follow us. Instagram is where almost all of our stuff goes. 
Um, I try to put stuff on other platforms, but Instagram is typically where my stuff goes. I do my best to respond to DMs. So if someone's interested, DM me. I'll do my best. I can't promise it will happen every time, but um, I, I try to be respectful of people who want to learn because people have given me a lot in the past, so I try to pay it forward. So if people are interested, just shoot me a DM on Instagram. Um, you can find my my email on my website on the uh, Navy Athletics website, but it's karitzi at usna.edu. Um, you can hit me up there. Um, and, and and I love you know this this curious and candid like live that lifestyle. You'll be okay. Um, I've talked about that in clinics. Like one thing that I think has helped me go forward is that I'm very very curious and uh, I'm not set in my ways. And and learning from anybody is is a critical part of this life. Whether in fitness, you know, it could be a bodybuilder, a crossfitter, another strength coach, could be a high school strength coach coach, middle school coach, YMCA coach, uh, boxing coach, whatever it is, you can learn from everybody. So don't, don't put anything past anybody. Everybody can learn from everybody. Um, but I, I'm grateful for the time. Thank you very much for the time. And, uh, and I hope that you continue to do this and have great conversations so you can help other people learn as well. You're, you're very welcome, Jim. Thank you so much. I'm going to do a quick outro and I'll get you out of here. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. guys. Absolutely. All of you who are tuning into another episode of curious and candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. I appreciate all of you. I value all of you. And if you guys would like to connect with me, two places that you can uh, do that, Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast, and then email is curiousandcandidpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, a huge uh, favor I'd ask of all of you uh, before uh, I let you go today, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And if you guys are uh, interested in holistic, uh, lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you uh, to all of you for tuning in to another episode of Curious and Candid, and we'll catch you guys next time.